0: You've reached the Conservative Hippie Podcast, a common sense look at life, the universe, and everything. Here's your host, Jay Fratt, the Conservative Hippie.
1: All right, here we are back again on the Conservative Hippie Podcast. I've got my friend, Glenn Morgan. He's an activist in Washington State, Um, he's a civil rights defender. He's a government watchdog. I think that's the best description for him. And Glenn has stumbled upon a story and he keeps digging and clawing and scratching at it. And as he says on his YouTube series, which I'll have linked in the show notes, uh, go to the show notes page, click on it. You want to see this. Uh, This is a local story in Washington state that's getting national attention. And as he says many times in his YouTube series, it just keeps getting worse. Glenn, welcome to the show. Um, I, I look forward to having you on again, where we can talk more about your life and you and I could just go back and forth about uh, modern politics and philosophy. But tonight, <laughs> we're here to discuss your big series and what's going on in Washington. Give everybody a synopsis, sure. if you will.
0: Sure, you bet, Jay. And thank you so much for having me on on your show. I, I love uh, the title and... Uh, you know, it's uh, uh it's funny. Many uh, conservative activists or libertarian activists today uh, often uh, will tell me that they used to be hippies or that used to be their background, or you know, we've we've had many of these conversations before. But, um, yeah, when it comes to this subject, I guess the you know diving right in, this really is a story uh, about Governor Inslee, mainly our our state governor, seems to be championing it. Um, Some special interests around the state as well, mostly focused on kind of the uh, Democrat Party side of things, including our Attorney General Bob Ferguson, and this decision that they've made to take the most violent sex predators that the state's ever caught that exists currently on a special commitment center out on the middle of an island, uh, McNeil Island in the middle of Puget Sound. And they've decided that rather than leave them there where they're supervised and they have services and they're safe and more importantly, other people are safe from them, um, they've decided that they want to take them and start randomly scattering them around communities around washington state oftentimes rural communities as you mentioned and keeping it a secret from the public so lined actually even to the public and encouraging special for-profit kind of insiders who set up these houses and then dropping these guys out with minimal supervision minimal controls uh not really i mean just uh, it was just this terrible idea and fumbling into this in a lot of ways like throwing their hands up in the air saying well what what could happen you know and and uh, it's so predictable the outcome the negative outcomes of these uh situations that uh it just boggles the mind that anybody would really go down this road and yet that's the road they're going down and uh i as you mentioned i've done a done some video series on i've done a few articles i've done a lot of records requests and to be fair jay there's been a lot of other people uh, local people in Thurston County and King County now and all over the state that are also digging into this um, story and whistleblowers who work inside of these agencies who are giving us information. And um, this is just a an egregiously ugly story. And uh, you know, the more you get into the details, the the worse it gets.
1: Yeah, it really is. Now let's set this up. Um, people listening outside of Washington State, what we're talking about is a former federal penitentiary that was on an island in Puget Sound. It's called McNeil Island, and the island yep. is only accessible by ferry or by boat. Okay. Now that federal penitentiary was closed down in the late seventies, and it was converted into a state prison. The state prison was also closed down. Uh, I don't know what year. I don't think that matters. But what was left? 2011. On, 2011. What, what was left on that island was this facility. Now I don't believe it was the prison, but it was you know think of uh, think of like a large recreational facility, you know, large school, if you will. But it's right. on that island, and what it houses is not just uh, people that are serving time, uh, violent sex offenders, but people who have served their time, and still the state has deemed them too dangerous, the recidivism rate is too high with these people. They have psychological issues. They are known to be repeat offenders in the future. And so they are right. housed. They are basically taken care of while they're outside of society. They're taken care of on this island at this facility. And that's, that's McNeil Island. So right. So tell me, OK, so let's let's get I don't I don't want to jump around too much. But what what immediately came to me was what what's this called when somebody has served their penalty to the state? They've served their time, but yet they're still confined.
0: It, well, and and it it really there's two pathways that these guys get there. Number one, they are deemed too mentally insane or or. Um, disturbed or troubled to actually stand trial. So they've been caught uh, usually molesting kids or raping women or something like that. That's usually what what the the problems are, oftentimes with hundreds of victims. um, And they've been caught and they decided, okay, they're just too mentally unstable or there's some or there's some problem and they 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 don't serve trial. So they instead of going to jail, they'll go straight to this commitment facility or they've been caught and convicted and served time But in the course of being, you know, interviewed and and reviewed, they've been determined to be so um, psychologically damaged. um, You know, they they attack people randomly. They mentally break down and and can't help themselves. But they immediately try to attack women when they see them or some other mental problem that's pretty extreme. And so they what's called a civil commitment um, uh, uh, arrangement. And it's really difficult to get in. It takes a lot of effort, a lot of uh, people have to decide that that's where you need to go. And, uh, so there's, and really what we were talking about here is just a few hundred, uh, maybe a little over 250 or so at a time that were out there at McNeil Island. And, you know, when you look at the universe of sex offenders, people who have, who've broken the law in this way, one way or the other, um, you know, they've already, uh, there's about 22,000 of them who have served their time and they already live amongst us In the communities. And, um, you know, some of them are lower level offenders. And then the way they rate these is that the lowest level offender, uh, the one least likely to maybe do it again, is a level one. And then the worst level offender is level three. These guys are all level three, plus they've been diagnosed with. A uh, substantial uh, risk to the community, to themselves, and everyone around them, and so that's who we're talking about. And the state designates them as violent sex predators. So they're not sex offenders; they're violent sex predators. And these are the ones that, um, you know, for for a host of strange reasons, it appears that the governor and the Democrats in the state legislature and some of these special interests have decided that we have to not keep them in a safe place where other people are safe right now on McNeil Island. Instead, we're going to put them out in the community and randomly locate these homes um, all around Washington state. And, you know, that's that's the situation that we're facing just from an overall policy standpoint.
1: Yeah. And it's so bizarre. Now, uh, during your series, you tracked it back to the initial legislation, um, I think it was 2019. Tell me about the how, how. does this come? How does this come to be when you have a facility that, that really? I mean, we're talking about a perfect facility for these types of people that have been committed, civilly committed, um, because of the violent nature um, of their uh, uh, proclivity, their their diagnosis, right. however you want to call it. It literally a perfect. Perfect facility for them. Remote island, right. only accessible by ferry by boat. Tell me about the legislation that allowed this circumstance to come to be.
0: Well, what it looks like, uh, it the the legislation that actually passed, that's um, the enabling legislation that allows them to go down this road, uh, was actually passed in 2021, and it's uh, it's Senate Bill uh, 5163, and it it was prime sponsored exclusively by Democrats. Um, in the Senate, I believe they only had Democrats vote for it. In the House, when it went over there, um, there were a handful of Republicans that crossed over and a handful of Democrats didn't vote for it. So, um, But it is mostly, it was a Democrat bill. But one thing to remember, it, in 2021, that was a COVID lockdown year. The legislature was, the public was actually fenced away from the Capitol, we couldn't access the Capitol. Um, nobody was allowed to go in and testify and be engaged in the process. Um, there was a lot of drama. This, the National Guard had been called out. And so in the midst of all this chaos, the I think the legislature, uh, particularly these Democrats who did this bill, felt like they would take advantage of the fact that most people were distracted with other things and kind of shove this thing through the system, which is what they did. And it really opened this door, this Pandora's box to some extent, about how, um, you know, what's the process you go about now? You've decided you're going to start taking some of these um, really bad, violent um, people off the island, very likely to to reoffend and many of them with victims in the hundreds. Right. Hmm. And now you're going to take them and put them into our communities. And how are you going to do it? And. Sometimes what happens is they pass a law that gives an overview, and then the implementation of the law is where the rubber meets the road, and the implementation on this one is is where it just gets even more insane, and they call these locations uh, less restrictive alternatives. It's LRA. That's the abbreviation, and government, just like education, just like tech. Everybody has to create all these abbreviations to make it sound like you know what you're talking about and make it more difficult for outsiders to even know how you are just, you know, what's what's really going on. But that's what they call it, it's less restrictive alternatives. So these LRAs um, are run mostly by nonprofits or for-profit entities that have, at least in the early stages as we've been identifying them, because there's no master list, there's no um, information provided to the public about this uh, project. We've got to dig it out from public records. Um, what they do is they set these facilities up and they're usually a private home. They, in every case so far, they lie to the neighbors. They lie to who they're buying the home from as far as what they're going to use it for. They usually say uh, the one near me here in Tonino, Southerston County, they said they were going to use it for foster kids. Uh, the couple up in Pearson King County, they said they're going to use it for um like a um, uh, retirement home or, or uh, people who are older or, or disabled. Um, but in every case, they always they lie about it. And then once they um, own the house, then they're able to apply and get some of these violent sex predators. Now, you you're okay. gonna wonder, okay. why would you want them? Right.
1: OK, so and we're going to we're going to get we're going to get to that. Let me let me rewind a bit. And we're talking about this less restrictive alternative for people who have literally been deemed by the state um, that they need to be committed. It's just bizarre. Now, also, the way you framed it, uh, you know, I want to push back a little bit. I mean, it it almost sounds like the Democrats, uh, we're going to hurt (laughs) society, the way you you state that they pushed this through and, you know, people weren't looking. I mean, but I— I have no reason or understanding as to why this legislation would get pushed through. So, can you try to explain, you know, what you mean by that? Uh, you sure.
0: know, yeah, no, no, that's and that's a great point, uh, Jay. And and so here's part of it. Really comes down to this general trend over the last fifteen years um, that uh, jail is a bad thing, right? And I've you know, I'm, I'm sympathetic to elements of this in the sense that I believe that we've over society in some ways. And, you know, victimless crimes have tended to um, be, you know, we tend to stuff our jails with people, victimless crimes. And, you know, and I've, I've, I've oftentimes in the past been involved in writing, you know, studies or reports on this kind of stuff. But what's what's happened is instead of looking at um, maybe decriminalizing certain types of things, They've chosen. Um, they being this there's a general movement. It is has been right now mostly from the left, where it's they've decided that that jail is just a bad thing, and anybody in jail, we need to find some ways to get them out. And so this is has led to a failure to um, distinguish between crimes that are committed that are violent and hurt people and damage lots of people, you know, people who commit those kind of crimes, I would generally say that jail is the appropriate place for them. And unfortunately, the philosophy on the other side is that um, that's being too harsh and we should try anything but jail. And that has bled, that whole philosophy um, has bled into, even for some of these people that, who are clearly uh, some of the worst uh, people that you could ever put out in society, and that's really what motivated us to some extent. Now, you, the Guardian, uh, which was a um, uh, uh, you know newspaper and a, a journalism group from England, they came out and did a story on McNeil Island, and they talked about um, how you know it really wasn't fair that some of these guys were out there, even though in these interviews they would interview the the individuals, and only a couple of them were uh, able and to actually be interviewed. And they would say, Hey, do you think if you were back out in society that you'd reoffend and the best they could ever get was, well, I hope not, you know, <laughs> oh, <laughs> and, so, and, and, you know, keep in mind, I mean, there's, there's a balance here. And I, the balance is that, we have you can't 60 percent of them are pedophiles um many of them have just horrific stories as to what put them there in the first place and you can read their sheets and they're they're heartbreaking and they're they're devastating when you realize just how much destruction that some of these individuals have waged on Vic, you know, young kids and, and young boys and young girls and and in some cases, women that they've, uh, you know, raped and, and molested and attacked. I mean, just a horrific list of victims. And there has to be some recognition for the rights of uh, victims and not just victims that have already been victimized, but those who clearly will become victims of these guys if they're released in the public. Yeah. And. You know, they um, even in their current facility, they are taken off island sometimes to go meet with doctors or to go to some places and they're escorted. With trained, uh, usually Department of Corrections employees or um, the DSA, DHS's Department of of, um, of Social and Health Services, and that's kind of the state agency that, that nominally oversees this operation. And so they'll send employees out there and they monitor these guys. I mean, they're they're trained in how to, you know, restrain them if they try to escape, and they. It's a sketchy process. I mean, when they take them out, they have to really be careful and make sure they don't victimize more people in that type of, of an event okay. in the scenario that i'm describing where they put them in these homes it's it's a complete free-for-all there's um the homes that they're putting them in are technically have what they call um it's it, they're almost like babysitters there that these private companies will will train for three days that's it and um pay them eighteen dollars an hour and they're supposed to keep an eye or watch Uh, Hardened criminals that have been incarcerated for sometimes decades. Yeah, people
1: were talking about men that have been held on an island only accessible by ferry and placing them in homes in communities not surrounded with cyclone fence and armed guards, just homes, just regular homes in a often with
0: often with no fencing uh next to families next to playgrounds next to bus stops next to parks um almost willfully located in places where their access to children is guaranteed uh there and in these cases that is an extremely bad combination it's it's the worst possible thing as long as you care about protecting children it it, it's not even conceivable that you could create a worse environment than this uh, and um, for these uh, violent sex predators, this is this is amazing, right? This is a dream come true for them. They've been hoping to get something like this for a long time. And so um, this is the overall policy that triggered our interest because um, what brought it to my attention here a few months ago was this facility that's not far from my house in South Thurston County, near Tenino. it's actually between Tenino and Tumwater. And as we dug into it and realized what they were trying to do, we had realized how much deception had been involved in this whole process, meaning that the private vendor was a, it was a it was a company called Supreme Living, LLC. They had lied to the neighbors. They had told they didn't tell anybody what they were going to do. They uh, were going to stuff this house with a, a bunch of these violent sex predators. And uh, it wasn't until citizens locally exposed this and confronted the organization and said, listen, you know, you're you're not even using this home appropriate to the space it's in. And they were able to get the Thurston County Health Department to recognize that the water system and the septic system and the kitchen need to be upgraded and all that stuff. That's the only thing that's delayed them from going into that home so far. Yeah. But worse than that, the gal that runs it named uh, Angela Rinaldo, this for-profit entity, she openly bragged, about the fact that she was going to make so much money, that in the and the county commissioners forced her to have kind of a public meet and greet, is what they called it, which she did January 11th in Tenino, and this videotaped meeting, you can hear her arrogantly just talking about how she's going to make a ton of money on this, and that was her whole priority. Uh, completely c- could care less about victims. Said there was not going to be any victims of these bad guys, uh, despite all the evidence to the contrary, and. It was so shocking to – I I wasn't – I didn't attend the meeting, but I, I talked to people who were there, and I saw the videos, and that's when we started to dig into this. We thought, well, how much money are we talking about? And that's when we found out when we got a copy of a contract that the state's going to pay her up to $35,000 a month per violent sex predator that she puts in this
1: house. $35,000 a month per violent sex offender. Now, what I love about you, Glenn, is you can go and you can go and you can go. So hang on. Yeah. Let, let me go back. So, sure, of course. So back yeah. back to the Democrat question. What Correct. Basically, what you're saying is it's, it's this thing we've seen, this zeitgeist towards the victim Olympics. And um, they come to the rescue of the victims. They're the champions. They virtue signal. But it's this... It's this strange psychology where the 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 largest victim becomes the biggest champion in our society right. and and the this is the outcome, our policies like this um, right. And I wanted to ask you, uh at one point you said to me, uh, today on the phone, you said, Jay, you know, this is going on in Washington state. And everybody knows, uh, unfortunately, our state is now considered one of the bluest states in the entire country. Uh, our House is uh, uh, majority Democrats. Our Senate's majority Democrat. We've got uh, Attorney General Democrat, Governor Democrat. We've got Democrats everywhere in control. And you said to me... Jay, if 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 they better pay attention, because if they think this is happening just in Washington, it's coming for them. It's coming to their state. Explain what what you meant by that, and how you see this um, not just as some experiment that's happening in our blue-controlled territory. Well,
0: and this this is, uh, and I'm glad you bring this up, Jay, because I think the tendency is for people to say, "Oh, well, Glenn's talking about these crazy Democrats, and they're just doing something insane," and I live in a state with, um, you know, conservative Republicans. they never do that. And um, and I'm going to tell you, everybody that says that, they're probably wrong. Because what I'm seeing is that it's at its core a movement to decriminalize criminals, essentially. And uh, you you discuss the victim Olympics, and you would think, well, why would you make um, the most violent people who have committed terrible crimes? Why would you make them a victim? And yet that's what was, you're absolutely right. That's what they're doing. And they're trying to say, well, these guys are just victims or they're misunderstood or, you know, um, you just don't understand who they are or something like this, this this kind of demeanor and attitude. And this actually isn't new. This was tried in the late 50s and early 1960s in America. And it failed miserably then, Uh, just like it's always failed when you don't have clear um, uh, penalties associated with violent or bad crime. You know, you can't coddle Violent criminals into reforming themselves. Um, I believe that you can reform people who are starting to go down a bad path. I do believe that, but once somebody has made a, you know, reached a certain threshold, I think that that reform ideal is is very unrealistic. And I, and, and that's probably where there's a big separation in how we view these things. And to be fair, I'm, I'm a student of James Q. Wilson and the study of crime and punishment. And just what he when he looked at this last time uh, in the 50s and 60s when it was tried and documented the complete failure and collapse of, of societal norms and the environments in which they tried this. So we it, it's we have all the data. We know this doesn't work, but it's the it's a trendy idea right now uh, and they're pushing it. And I guarantee that the local prosecutors in Idaho and Texas and Wyoming and Oklahoma and Tennessee and and all these places, Florida, places they think this isn't happening. I guarantee that elements of this are being implemented right now. And they may not be as open and arrogant and um, incompetent perhaps as what we're seeing happen in Washington State, but it's no less uh, pernicious and destructive in those states than it is here. And you can't be lazy and just assume that because somebody has an R next to their name, that they're going to do the right thing. Um, oftentimes I find that that's fertile ground for bad ideas because they're lazy and they don't think that, you know, they're, they feel like because they have an R they're okay. And plenty of people in States like that may not like freedom and Liberty much, but they'll still run as an R because their quest for power is overwhelms you know, whatever ideological grounding they might have. I mean, there's all kinds of reasons why people get into politics. And unfortunately, um, at its core, the bad result is when you have policies like this that genuinely are destructive and harmful to the community, uh, that's really when people just have to be aware that that's why you don't want to go down that road. We're, we're down that road. We're moving down that road right now. And that's why myself and a lot of other people are engaged to push back and change and and kind of stop some of these horrific ideas before they produce the inevitable victims uh, that they will, and uh, we we really like to protect people and avoid that type of scenario.
1: Yeah. Okay. So we talked about the Victim Olympics, this mm-hmm. this push, this movement, as as you call it. Um, another aspect of this that you started to touch on there with this, Angela Angela Rinaldi, Rinaldo, one of the Rinaldo, yeah. yeah, and Supreme Living, that's her for-profit mm-hmm. company. Right. What, what I'm seeing out of this whole situation, and, and we're going to we're going to touch on all the factors. Uh, hang with us here, but is this is this contracting out of government services and the wasteful spending that goes with it, the lack of accountability, transparency? It, it seems like we're. We're getting so lazy within our government institutions, um, and that we're creating such large government institutions that everything's getting contracted out. I've I've touched on this in many different aspects of other government agencies uh, throughout my podcast, and now here I'm seeing this: the government essentially has decided to set these people off into communities, and they're going to absolve themselves, the absolve the state of responsibility through the. Contractors. So tell me, Correct. Glenn. So tell me, this is at the bottom line. The first thing I thought of was, hey, what about these guys' civil rights? Then that was cleared up with, nope, these are the worst of the worst of the worst. They've been committed civilly. Um, right. There's a procedure. These these are horrible, um, broken individuals that will commit their crimes again. Okay, fine. Right. McNeil Island. There we go. Is the state saving money by using these contractors and getting them off of the island? Where, where does the logic come into play? Because I haven't seen it yet.
0: Right. And that's a great question, because historically, the trend towards outsourcing uh, or privatizing elements of government oftentimes has, a, has an argument that government's so ineffective and inefficient at whatever it does, that if they outsource to the private sector, the private sector will do it better, right? Um, that that's a that's a common argument. As libertarians, we've used that argument as conservatives. We've used that argument in the past. And and there's elements of that that are true. Right. If you want to build a road, you contract out to a, somebody who does that for a living, a contractor who does it for a living and you negotiate the deal and the you set the quality standards and the requirements you have and you inspect it. And that's what they build. And that type of relationship is fairly traditionally normal and historically, usually it's more effective um, than, uh, than if you went out and the government was gonna hire everybody and do a road, for example. So we're, we're used to this. This is not unusual that government would outsource. Where it falls apart in this kind of a setting is that the outsourcing doesn't uh, actually achieve the goal that the stated goal anyway, for a lower cost or more effectively or more honestly in any way at all, any measurement actually it's worse. It's approximately twice as expensive to do it this way than it is to keep them at mcneil island for example it's but it has benefits to the bureaucrats and some of the political insiders and one of the biggest benefits is that it's it, as it outsources liability so it shifts not just responsibility but it actually shifts liability and in the statute the enabling statute actually page 19 lines one through eight because i looked at it and read it many times over it clearly says that these agents of the state are exempt from a lot of liability um and so this get allows them to take these very dangerous people and hand it off to these private companies and then say it's okay you're not going to get sued and neither will we and then um what it the other part it does is that um under the Open Public Records Act and you know, the public, uh, Open Public Meetings Act and these other sunshine laws, the most of which were passed in the 1970s, including audit functions and other other things, um, government is relatively accessible to the average person to find out how they're spending the money or in most cases squandering it and um, how the decision-making process is there. You can see their emails, you can see their contracts, you can see their, their time cards, you can see all kinds of stuff when you use the Public Records Act, which I do all the time when you hand it out to a company like this, the company itself is no longer subject to either the uh, Open Public Meetings Act, which means they don't need to disclose what they're going to do, nor do they have to be subject to the Public Records Act. You don't, they don't have to tell you how they're wasting their money. um, And the only thing you can do is look at how much the state pays them. You can't actually see how they spend it. And you can't see what happens once those people land in those facilities and once they are no longer under control or supervision of the state. Now they're in this kind of quasi gray area where there's no way for the public to have any audit function on what happens there. And there's no way the state auditor doesn't even have the ability. Now, theoretically, the state auditor could come in and audit these entities as a subcontractor of the state, but they rarely do it. And um, mostly they won't do it. And what happens then is that these eight, these, it becomes like this wild west of um, nobody's You know, nobody's it's nobody's supervising anything. And there's no upside to doing it right, because that might be more expensive. And they uh, nobody's going to hold you accountable if you don't do it right. And even if you screw up and these guys get away and escape and they molest other kids or they create more victims. Um, you can absolve yourself of civil liability in most cases just simply by referencing the statute, the enabling statute that allowed you to get the contract in the first place. So there, there's some really uh, strange roads that we're going down with this process that um, you yeah. have to look at it a little bit closer. But th- this is where we run into really, really bad situations
1: here, I think. Yeah, yeah. It it's just seems like it's insane. It's li- it is. It and- is. It is such a irresponsible wasteful act you said thirty five thousand dollars per um, I want to call them inmates but you know right. per per uh, housing uh, uh, person for criminal um, right and and you have examples uh in your video series where uh, you mentioned you used the word packing earlier and you've seen a clear example of where a house is packed with um, these. Uh, former McNeil Island um, inmates uh, and they right. just they're just seeking profit and it's a it's a cauldron, a stew of future problems that you can clearly see and you're speaking as if these future problems will happen um, and clearly from uh, these people that have been uh, civilly confined, they will. In their own what? words, they, they yeah, will.
0: They, they will. Yeah, there, there is no doubt that they will, <clears throat> given the opportunity. And so um, and that would be true, of course, whether they're at McNeil Island or somewhere else. The thing is, at McNeil Island, there's no kids or women, or at least civilians anyway, that they can attack. They can attack staff. They can attack each other, but they can't. Uh, and of course, they the reason why they set up that facility is to minimize and prevent that from happening It's why
1: well. it's why they're there. The facility right. is literally built for these very small, <laughs> minor population of people right. it 's literally right. why it 's there, so now they 're taking them off uh, just you know because they're they're great people they're higher minded than you and i, and they 're more kind right. even to the lowest of the low in our society surely right. g- surely Glenn, these contractors must go through a rigorous vetting process um, and uh, the state is going to assure that they will only contract out to the um, highest degree of integrity organization correct
0: not at all and that's where things get really bad because this is where we realized and i don't have all the contracts for all these facilities yet i have a couple of them and the one with angelo Ronaldo was one of the first ones because that was near me but we found him last month and that was what set off the alarm bells, right? But in addition, looking at her and we said, well, what's her background? Why is she doing this? And she's a DSHS employee, meaning that she was on the inside of the agency that was going to be responsible for kind of managing these violent sex offenders. And she found out about the opportunity to make money. She's admitted that. That's yeah. She's admitted. She's found an opportunity. So she knew how to work the system to make sure she's going to be one of the first vendors. Then I looked back on what has she done in the past? That's, you know, because past behavior is oftentimes a pretty good indication of future activities. And I she's open on her website about the fact that she had worked for the Department of Corrections in Kansas City, for example. Well, I went back and looked at that and it was a number of years ago, but she was fired from the Department of Corrections in Kansas City for uh, I, I can't get the personnel records anymore because they're too old, but according to the articles uh, that were published at the time in a variety of newspapers, she was fired either because um, she was overruling the parole board rules and releasing violent criminals back into com- the community, and of course they had killed, they they hurt a lot of people, or uh, it may have also had to do with the fact she was setting up some kind of private prison system there that ended up having appalling conditions um, that were terrible for the inmates and a total disaster for the state. And, uh, she didn't even, she didn't last that long there. She also apparently had a similar, um, experience when she was working for the, uh, private prison system up in Alaska. And then we found out again, she's been involved in a couple other schemes like this in the past, even in Washington state, um, and, uh, where she was involved in setting up, uh, uh, like work release camps down in Lewis County and all the the community kind of had an uprising about it back in the 90s. So uh, and she did go to Evergreen State College. She's a proud Evergreen State College grad. And, you know, it's it's really the wrong person. And it wasn't just that. And it isn't just me saying it. The Department of Corrections came out to look at the house and they were really Uh, taken back. And then I published their emails that they sent to each other, their public record. Again, that's why I like the Public Records Act and also their site review analysis of the House. They clearly identified her as being arrogant, uh, unwilling to listen, uh, proud of her master's degree, certain that she knew what she was doing and yet not familiar with the statute, not concerned about victims, not concerned about security. And that response that was written by the Department of Corrections employee in those reviews and those emails is actually replicated in other places when I'm finding more information out about her. So that on that site, that clearly shows that we probably don't have somebody who's doing a good job. In addition, she's running a slightly lower risk, uh, both sex offender, mental health home up in Olympia right now. She already has it. Supreme living it's there. And um, she's already lost one of the sex offenders. They've run away and disappeared. Um, She doesn't know where they went. And, How are we supposed to expect somebody that's doing such a bad job already with um, easier to manage population? um, How is she going to deal with this situation? Right. And she she has a negative attitude about it. Um, She's on video. This is not a secret. This is who she is. And this is just the bad person to have. Now, you could always say that that's an anomaly when i looked at the Enumclaw facility which is where they had a big town meeting here last week
1: i'm not even i'm not even needed here i mean i i'm just going to go sit down i was i was about to <laughs> i was I, I was about to set you up and say hey you know, surely you're cherry picking this. Sound, right, this sounds right. this sounds like an insider. This Ronaldo character. Sure, right. Surely you haven't found any other examples of insiders um, get, getting involved and taking advantage of this process.
0: Right, and and so of course we have, and that's where it just that's where everything starts to get even stranger. And in this case, that the, the Enemclaw facility, where they actually are uh, slightly ahead of where uh, Angelo Rinaldo uh, was able to get in Nino, they've already moved people into their facility. So it's particularly um, it's particularly bad up there. And the facility up there is called Garden House. So Supreme Living in Tenino, This is another for-profit entity called. Garden House in Enumclaw, and the contract for Garden House is, uh, and for the contract with the state to house these uh, violent sex predators there is with somebody named Jill Rockwell, who is married to a guy named Rick Minich. Rick Minich owns a company called Minich Polygraph, which has a contract also with the state, and they're the primary vendor that does polygraph administration to these um, violent sex predators on McNeil Island, so it's his business that does this, To and they have to pass this polygraph, or at least it's part of their process to get off the island, and so he runs that business that approves or disapproves of the violent sex predator that in turn comes to his house, run by his wife, go to the garden house, which in turn gets $35,000 a month, uh, and that's the circle of the corruption. And Whew. Total insider doing this now. Here's what's not, worse: not, not just public...
1: a, not just an insider, a, a person in the direct chain of decision making.
0: Right, and so this was brought up at the public hearing. People had done their homework, and they said, "What is going on?" And the DSHS director, who is in charge of the Special Commitment Center in, in McNeil Island, said, "Oh, we would never." let him that's an obvious conflict of interest we would we've identified that and we would never let his company be in the decision process for um um uh, you know letting one of these guys leave the island and go to his house go to go to the house that he's running for big
1: bucks of course not he can't be involved that's a conflict of interest yeah why not no
0: and so within 30 minutes we looked at the release documents for the guy that's already there who has a horrendous background of molesting children for for years, and we we looked at his release documents that are submitted to the court, so it's a public record. And right there, within the first few paragraphs, it says Minich Polygraph approved oh. him as to, to to go there. And so what we're seeing is the very director that runs the facility is lying, and that these guys are not stupid people. They're smart. They have to know that. I don't know why he would lie so openly about a document that he knows that we have that we could instantly fact check him and see that he is, it's a total lie. And it, here's what makes it worse, though. I mean, if that's not bad enough, the garden house facility specifically is located right next to a bus stop. Um, they aren't supposed to locate these next to bus stops. It's actually part of the contract. But they just said, oops, our mistake. And they didn't even notice it was next to a bus stop. And there, there's no accountability for the fact that they screwed that up. Secondly. Um, one of the terms – and these guys, when they're released, they do have like a list of rules they're supposed to follow. Now, I don't think anybody's holding them accountable for following them normally, but in theory, they have to follow these rules. Usually, it has to do with things like – and here's an example of one. They aren't supposed to fraternize with other um, sex predators, for example, or other felons who have committed sex crimes. That was one of the things that this guy wasn't supposed to do. And, um, But – what happened is the same couple, uh, Rick Minich and his wife Jill Rockwell. They have a son, who um, they were bringing by, and he's he's apparently staying at this garden house doing maintenance around it. He's a felon. He was actually charged with rape. Um, he ended up pleading down to a uh, domestic violence and um, uh, uh, an assault charges and everything, but. It appears that they're violating their own terms with their kid. I mean, it's not even like they brought in a stranger to do it; it's their own son, so they know his background. And they're sticking him in, or bringing him around this violent sex predator in the garden house um, place, where they're raking in thirty-five thousand dollars a month or so, and uh, and he's making decisions on the next batch of people that he's apparently going to throw in there with him. They're trying to get about eight of them in there, I think. And so, wow, this is an incestuous. Uh, non-transparent insider kickback scheme that's nothing more than a grifting operation with the, uh, not only does that damage the taxpayers, but frankly, it's putting the community at risk for the profit of these guys. And the adults that should be supervising this whole process who work at DSHS or DOC or the AG's office or somewhere, they are nowhere to be found or they're actively covering up the problems.
1: Okay, now I'm going to help you out. Do you want to take back kickback? Do you have any evidence of the money that these contractors receive um, going um, in a backflow situation?
0: It depends on whether you how do you define it. So um, is it a kickback situation if they're getting this money and then they're donating money to the people who approved the um, legislation? Some people say yes. Some people say no. Um, I'm not done with all my public disclosure commission reviews on who they're kicking money to, but um, there does appear to to be some of that. Now, maybe people will say, well, that's not really a kickback. Um, The truth is nobody knows for sure what's going on with this money. Because it disappears into a black hole, and we can't tell how it gets washed on the other side. Well, exactly.
1: And it, and it looks like insiders got the scoop on how to make the money and what, Correct. To, and what to do. So maybe an insider in uh, the legislature or or in government gives them the tip, hey, check this out. This is what's coming down. This is what's allowed. You go and do that. I mean, I don't want to get the speculation um, too thick because you're finding right. so many facts. That just are so disgusting, we don't need to extrapolate theory. No,
0: absolutely. Absolutely. And listen, the truth is whatever it is, whatever we find, that's the truth. And it could be that uh, theories are proven or disproven. But uh, what I'm really tending to find here is that whatever... You know, I, I tend to it, not attribute to malice uh, what you can explain with just basic incompetence or uh, general garden mill, you know, corruption. But um, there's it, this is just keeps getting worse the deeper I dig. And it's not just me. I want to clarify that. I don't want to make myself sound like some kind of, you know, activist superhero. Uh, Honestly, there's a whole bunch of people that are digging into this. And why I like that is crowdsourcing public records, essentially, and crowdsourcing whistleblower uh, recruitment and crowdsourcing people who work inside these departments. I mean, um, I've got so many sources now on the inside That, uh, you know, I can tell you for an absolute fact that the leadership in these agencies are completely lying. And that's backed up, though, also by the fact that the emails
1: that I see that
0: these employees are writing, frontline employees doing good work, tough work, writing to their supervisors asking, why are we doing this? You know why? These are the wrong places. These are the wrong vendors. This is risky. Um, I know that I can't stop it, but you can tell they wish they could. You know, what kind are they? You know what? and, And so all of this drama, the behind the scenes is happening. But the public has been blissfully unaware and they don't know the danger that's being moved in next door. And unfortunately, Jay, what this is starting to expose is a much bigger operation than just this. Um, We were also starting – we've been uncovering the fact that they're downgrading the danger ratings on some of these people. It would be like saying that you got a violent felon calling them a misdemeanor guy, and then that way you can release them without too much trouble. So they officially will change the classification of them so you actually don't know the true – Danger that's actually represented by that individual that's moved into those homes. And that's the kind of thing that we're also seeing and starting to uncover that may be far more widespread than we realize. And the net result of this, the significant impact to us, is that more people. Who didn't have to become victims of molestation or rape or murder or kidnapping or whatever horrible things that unfortunately this population of people have a history and a proclivity to do? Um, they don't have to have those experiences. We can stop that yeah. and we can stop it in a humane and reasonable way. Uh, McNeil Island is a 4,400 acre facility with um you know views of the mountains and the ocean and it's 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 a um it's safe it's it's, it's supervised a, let,
1: let's be clear it is a humane way to take care of these people right. that are that cannot operate within society without right. hurting society so yeah
0: or it, or themselves and you know i mean some of the things that do happen up there is there's a lot of these guys have have tried to kill each other. They've uh, they've, you know, sometimes try to kill themselves. They sometimes attack guards. You know, there's there's uh, people up there trying to help them. Um, there's they at least can get that kind of attention there. You put them out in these houses where there's eighteen dollar an hour minimum wage guys that, you know, it, there's a lot of deception that, that has gone on here too. The these both of these nonprofits so far, or for-profit entities, when you look at their job postings, and there's another one in Pierce County that did the same thing, they don't say anything about the fact that they're trying to hire people to watch Violent Sex Predators. They make it sound like they're hiring you to watch some uh, retirement community members, because I've talked to, and sent people in to interview. and
1: yeah. They yeah, like, like like a caregiver type. type correct. Scenario. Like a
0: caregiver. Like, oh, and so some of the people that I sent that had gone into interview were neighbors thinking, oh, I'm retired now. I can go over here and help these people just like I helped my grandma. Right. Or I helped my dad. And then they find out that, no, you, you're not going to be able to do that because uh, and for $18 an hour, you're probably not going to be willing to put your life on the line to protect the neighbor kids down the street. When these guys decide to go for it.
1: Okay, you've told yeah. you've told the story very well. Um, we're we're coming up on limits. I have to get to this part of it. Sure, yeah, absolutely. Why? I've said it from the jump. McNeil Island is the facility. If anything, we could do more with McNeil Island in terms of we could we could do so much more with McNeil Island. Why? Right. What is going on? Do you have a theory on why they're clearing out McNeil Island?
0: I have one theory that doesn't have a total answer, but it's it's generic in the sense that for years—and I say years, this goes back actually over a decade—there's um, been a desire by certain special interests at times, usually environmental groups or developers or somebody else, that they're they eye they're eyeing this island, this 4,400-acre 4, island in the middle of Puget Sound with beautiful views. There's not many islands left like this. And the only reason this island's empty right now with just a pri- an old prison and this uh, special commitment center on it is because it's been that way, or at least there was a prison there since before we were a state, before Washington State existed. They used to have some homesteaders. The island's big enough. They had farms on one side for many years. But after 1930, they had taken all those people off. And so it's been empty for a long time. There's no empty islands like this in Puget Sound. So from a value of real estate standpoint and a proximity to Tacoma and big cities and you know, beautiful island, who wouldn't want that? So. I think there's always been a number of people that have wanted to acquire that island if they could. And so by taking away the state's last uh, primary facility there, it opens the potential for somebody to come in and acquire this island. And it's always been my my operating theory that there's a number of groups that have definitely wanted that. Now, what complicates their objectives is the fact that there are federal agreements with the state – that would be obligated. They, they'd go away if they stopped using the island for a facility like this. So in order for my theory to actually pan out for somebody or some group or some special interest, they're also going to have to have some connections back in D.C. that are willing to change that side of the agreement. And they might. I don't know. But um, for the right people and the right price, this island is a um, screaming deal and a tremendous opportunity, most likely, for somebody to come out there and uh, do something with it. And, you know, it's it's a lot of money. It's billions of dollars. So that's just sitting there potentially to be used in, in some unique way. I,
1: I, I don't I, I don't like that. that I, I appreciate that. That's that's a good theory, um, something that wouldn't uh, interrupt those federal agreements. Would be using the island in some. It already has facilities. You could refurbish the prison facility, and you could create some sort of rehabilitation facility. You could create some sort of psychiatric facility. Oh, absolutely! So that people, people people for public use, public
0: use. use, I, I agree with you. That's what they should do.
1: People that are living on the streets, we need to be the responsible adults, the responsible neighbors, and take care of those people. They clearly cannot take care of themselves. They've withered away through drug addiction or mental illness. We need to be the ones that scoop them up and give them an opportunity to heal and join society once again. Wouldn't McNeil Island be the perfect um, installation that could facilitate the housing? and the psychiatric and drug rehabilitation care necessary
0: yes and it's plenty large enough that you could house all of these facilities on that island and still have thousands of acres of wilderness and environmental you know buffer zones already it would be no problem actually but and in fact, this idea was proposed uh, four years ago, I think now by um, Eric Johnson, when he did uh, the video, um, Seattle is dying, which was a documentary on the drug addiction problems in Seattle. Okay. And it was a proposal that he made for using this facility. And the anger that blew back at him for even proposing that indicated to me that somebody doesn't like these types of options. Now I've made the same proposal for using the island as a detox facility. But with the collapse of Western State Hospital in Stillicum, which isn't that far away, perhaps we could just use it uh, and repurpose parts of this or even rebuild some of it um, so that we could also house a decent psychiatric facility because our state doesn't have one right now and has willfully uh, abandoned thousands and thousands of people who desperately need help. So there's a lot of good uses we could put this island towards. My concern is that none of those good uses are on the agendas at all, not even one of them, of the dominant party or any of the people who are in political power. And they've attacked every one of those ideas without being able to shoot them down logically. They just attacked them and said they they don't want to do that or it won't work or it's going to be too much money or something else and, and without any studies, without anything. I, and that indicates to me that political insiders have different plans for this. There was a formal study commissioned by the state back in 2012, and I think it was completed early 2013, um, that about McNeil Island. They did it right after the state prison was being shut down. And it was a bill sponsored by Karen Frazier, who currently is no longer in the Senate, but she's um, she actually is on the board of Evergreen State College. And she has openly said in the past, try, she's sought ways of using McNeil Island for like an environmental retreat center or something like that. And I believe that was kind of the original idea, the report. actually quite well done i've posted on my website it's and downloaded it and uploaded it there too and it's it's an exhaustive study and you learn a lot about the history of the island and some of the legal agreements that exist out there but it clearly was done because people want to know what they can do to take this island and convert it to something that's they call it the long-range planning for neil island and they are this is why i mean it's a theory of mine that there's somebody's got some plans for it i don't know who yet and i don't know exactly what but there's been a lot of different rumors floating around this uh, in the olympia area for the last 10 years about mcneil island and um now that i see this civil commitment facility being downgraded in a lot of ways it makes me concerned that they're actually talking about removing it now to be fair Since we brought this up and made a big deal out of it, um, there's been some backpedaling at the governor's office, um, and they're saying that they don't have any plans to shut down um, Neal Island. However, if you talk to employees who work out there, and I've talked to quite a few of them, every... Action that they're taking on that island, uh, including uh, failure to main, maintain facilities, um, willfully choosing not to maintain facilities, um, understaffing the uh, minimum requirements that they have out there. They're probably 50% staffed, you know, for where they would be if they were running a, the facility at its at its peak. They've got a lot of challenges because of that lack of staffing, um, that and it's willful choices being made by the senior administration. It's not that they don't have any choice or it's an accident or they don't have the money. They're they're genuinely making um, administrative decisions and executive level decisions that are willfully um, indicating that there's some kind of a plan related to that, or at least they don't care enough to to try to do it right. And those are the kind of things that would, would lead me to believe that my theory has some basis. In fact, I don't have all the details there, which is why I describe it as a theory. And uh, as we continue to dig, I, I suspect we're going to find the truth. I think in the end, you do get the truth. What I'd like to do is, rather than whatever that scheme or dream somebody might have down the road, I don't want that to happen. I think, as you mentioned earlier, with some of your suggestions and ideas, and a lot of us have had similar thoughts, this op- the island represents an opportunity for the state to really build a uh, some facilities and use facilities for these very specialized, difficult um application of services for very difficult populations that frankly nobody wants in their backyard um nobody wants these facilities next door yet we have to put them somewhere and what better place than a 4400 acre isolated facility that has been isolated for long before we were a state And there's no neighbors to bother, you know, there it's, it's going to be, it would be really good to use it for this, I think.
1: Yeah. And it even comes with a jobs program. You graduate through the program. If you want a job, there's going to be jobs there on the island. So it it literally comes with um, ways that they can pick themselves up after they get clean or after after they get the care that they need. But unfortunately, unfortunately, the way our society is going in Washington state under Democrat control is we're Closing down facilities that are were there to help uh, mentally ill people. We're, we're not in the age of lobotomies anymore, and yet we're closing down these psychiatric facilities instead of just changing the way, tweaking the way that we use them. And unfortunately, right. those people are out on the streets. They're mixing in with populations of homeless people that are drug addicted. So you right. a- anywhere you look, you're stepping over somebody that genuinely needs help while you're stepping around somebody that's so mentally ill they're just walking down the street yelling at the air and, right. and 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 to your point that this is coming to a community near you what we're dealing with in Washington state what they're dealing with in Los Angeles it is spreading across the country unfortunately with this it is. with it's, this it's, it's fentanyl problem
0: it's, yeah it's in portland it's in um it's it's obviously in seattle it's in bellingham it's in olympia it's you're you're not going to escape this it's in boise idaho it's in nashville tennessee
1: austin texas it's it's every it's 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 an epidemic and and it's it's so it's so disheartening to see the way our country stripped our rights to react to um covid and what was created in that situation and yet we can't look and see at the epidemic that's right in our faces every day in the streets of our cities.
0: And there's no way you I mean, and in trying to find solutions like this, real solutions, not just Band-Aids, not free tarps and tents, not, you know, free needles and propane, which is the kind of stuff that we're doing right now, Um, you know, but really genuinely trying to find solutions that actually can help these people. And it's, you know, that's the resistance to that by the same people uh, you know, who are handing out the free tarps and tents. I just think it's, it's, it's really illustrating that there's a bigger problem here that it's, it's not because people are trying to find, I think the, the people who are doing the current stuff, most of them really don't have an interest in finding the solutions. They like the way it, it is, it's going now. And, you know, we're going to have to break that paradigm and we're going to have to actually find things that really work and it'd be nice if we could do it before we bankrupted the country um you know in the process of doing these other experiments
1: yeah all right thank you so much for joining me Discussing this issue, I, I wanted to talk to you about, I believe it's HB one three three three, the uh, uh, domestic extremism bill right. that's in our state right. legislature right now. I did right. a previous uh, podcast on the FBI memo that went out on militia violent extremism and signs of that. Um, right. Just, just we're living truly in Orwellian times, especially here in Washington State, and I thank you for all of the hard work you do and just the way you're committed to truth seeking and being an activist that's standing up, being loud and digging in every single day. You truly are an inspiration for all Washingtonians and all Americans, Glenn. And I mean that (laughs) from my heart.
0: Well, Jay, thank you so much. Thank you for having me on. Love to talk about that other, uh, Bob Ferguson's uh, domestic violent extremist bill sometime too, but, uh, for now, thank you so much for covering this topic. I think, it, I think it really matters.
1: Yeah. All right. Be well, my friend. Okay. Thanks, Jay. Bye. We, we love you, Jay. The dude is all right. It's all about community. Come join us. You can hit me up on Twitter and Telegram at Jay Fratt. Join the Indecent Disclosure channel on Telegram if you want to join the Hangin' with Hippie sessions. And of course, as always, if you want to support this podcast and support your smoking lifestyle, go to smokinjays.com and use coupon code HIPPIE HIPPIE for 15% off at checkout.